Good to have you here. It is three and out on this Wednesday. Braves take a tough one, man. The uh, the bullpen lets them down today, and one of those things that happens in baseball, you don't get the double play. Next batter hits a two-run homer, and you're behind with six outs to go, and that's what happened with uh, the Braves this afternoon. But they take one of two from the Phillies, which really now all anybody cares about is pulling for the Washington Nationals later this afternoon. I think the Mets and Nationals first pitch here in about 10 minutes. And if the Nationals' AAA team can get it done again against the Mets, then you're going into a big five-game series down, what, uh, two, and a, two and a half games, uh, which at that point is all you ask for. You're in, uh, you're in August, getting ready to make the turn towards September. You have five games against a team directly in front of you. It doesn't get any bigger than that, fellas. And, oh, by the way, coming off a very active trade deadline where Alex Anthopoulos makes a move as he said, it came together two minutes before the deadline happened yesterday. So at uh, four, at what uh, five fifty eight, he's on the phone trying to close this thing down uh, with the Angels and, and gets Rafael Iglesias. But it's all coming down to this next series. You get Odorizzi in. You're going to have all the new moves in there in New York. Can the Braves gain whatever's left? Three, three and a half, two and a half potentially. Uh, when it's all said and done. Yeah, five games in, in four days in New York City, and it's going to be exciting. And look, today's disappointing. Uh, you got a great start from Charlie Morton. You got, what, a, a double in the first, I think, swing from, mm-hmm. from Robbie Grossman, who you brought over. And you mentioned the play. Uh, Brian Snicker was talking about it in the post game where you had uh, JT Real Muto beat out the double play, and you don't see that from a lot of catchers. Uh, and then, of course, that happens. And then Castellanos, the two-run home run, and the game changes. But, uh, look, the Braves have had a great stretch, been playing great baseball. You would have loved to have got the victory today. But if you want to think about it like this, you reset the win-loss equilibrium, get the law of averages back on your side. I'm just trying to find the silver lining ahead of uh, going to New York. But, yeah, Washington beat the Mets yesterday without Soto and Bell. So, this is going to be a race to the finish. Uh, the Braves are clearly, obviously, directly one of the playoff favorites, whether that's in the East or in the wild card where they have a substantial lead uh, for the number one spot there. But disappointing loss today, but really excited, Ben, for the next couple of days with the Mets. Yeah, no matter what happened these last couple of games, you know it's going to come to every All eyes going to be on New York the next uh, four days, four or five days. And, you know, Kevin, it goes back to what happened with it when it came to this Braves team early in the year. Look. Ten and a half games, people's like, oh, man, just take it game in, game, in, game out, don't panic. As Snit said, look, I know it's crazy as it is, but you put yourself in a position. You want 100 or some odd games in to be in this position because all the pressure is, yes, the Braves got to go out there and play well, but the Mets aren't used to being in this position this late in the season. But the Braves are going to ha- have to go out there, you know, play poise, play loose, and uh, get got some new additions going to be traveling up to, uh, you know, to New York with them. But, uh Listen, that's why you go out there and play. I just think this Braves team understand that look, why they haven't they they haven't ever gone into the playoffs in a as a wild card. Not saying that's going to be the case. I do agree with something you say, Kevin. I think they're going to catch these Mets. I think you're going to learn a lot about this Braves team this next series. But I just think that when you look at when you look at the way this Braves team is you know is put together, they can match with the best of them. They're not going to win them all. Had a, you know kind of got away from the day, but uh, I still like their chances. It's playoff baseball in August, man. That's uh, that's as as plain as it is. A playoff baseball. In August, it's all you can hope for heading into the weekend there with the Mets. Thought it was funny. Alex Anthopoulos makes a move uh, essentially to get the 
Ray, uh, the Angels closer, as Iglesias, in the final couple minutes. He's the guy that was up for the Mariano Rivera uh, relief pitcher of the year last year. Uh, so you're solidifying the bullpen with guys that can throw uh, throw some heat. And you lost Jesse Chavez. You lost Tucker Davidson. We'll talk more about that. But Alex Anthopoulos saying, hey, yeah, when it comes down to the deadline, my family goes away. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, they leave town. We'll talk about that in more Hour 2 coming up next. Good to have you back here. Three and out on this Wednesday. Braves, man, a tough one to the Philadelphia Phillies today. Looked good for eight innings and just could not hang on with the bullpen. Uh, Braves have made some some moves over the last couple of days. Rocio Iglesias, Jake Odorizzi, we're going to see them against the Mets uh, coming up this week. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Still to come this hour, we got Troop Talk on this Wednesday. Ben sits down with... Former Georgia quarterback Quincy Carter, a former NFL QB, former Georgia quarterback Quincy Carter, who uh, just recently uh, on social media celebrated a three-year uh, milestone of sobriety. So uh, Ben sits down, talks with him about that, football, and, uh, and, and much more. So we'll hear from him this hour. Also, Sean Elliott, Georgia State head coach, will join us coming up in the final hour. They are picked third preseason by the media in the Sun Belt behind App State and Coastal Carolina. So Sean Elliott will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. But fellas, first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, take one. Who is your second team in the SEC East here in the preseason? It's tough because I think there are a couple of candidates. And, you know, Ben, normally I would look at the Florida Gators, and I think the potential is there. Uh, there is a question mark or two with, with Billy Napier coming over, just in terms of how long the transition will take. I think it was a great hire. Uh, but you look at uh, some of the talent on the roster. I mean, Anthony Richardson and, and Javon Dexter. and I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, this is a roster, a team, that has a chance to emerge in that number two role, I think. I know a lot of folks are talking about Kentucky. I think uh, Chris Gordy said maybe Kentucky was his number two. You love what they've done along the line of scrimmage the last couple of years. Will Levis is being talked about as a first-round pick at, at, at quarterback. Chris Rodriguez at running back. I mean, big-time production there. Uh, South Carolina. I mean, how do you know what to expect? South Carolina exceeded a lot of expectations a year ago. And you have uh, 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 Spencer Rattler now, right, coming in, who not long ago was being talked about as a Heisman Trophy front runner. Uh, you still have great talent at the running back position. Josh Van at wide receiver. Defensively, you've recruited well. I think South Carolina could be a real X factor. But until proven otherwise, even though I like all those teams and I think they're going to be in the mix, I'm going to go Tennessee. Hendon Hooker was fantastic a year ago. And think he didn't start the, the, the season as the starter. And maybe if he was in the lineup the whole season, there's another win or, or two potentially for the Volunteers. Josh Heupel's system has been consistent. I know there are questions on defense. I understand, but I think you were you were limited numbers-wise a year ago. I think you're going to have better depth defensively for the Vols this fall. And, you know, you look at the wide receiver position for Tennessee. You have Cedric Tillman. You have Brew McCoy. And you're talking about uh, uh, a season from Hendon Hooker where he was, what, second or third in the nation in passer rating last year. Has the mobility as well. Just great touch on his deep ball uh, I think that that offense, that tempo is so difficult to prepare for. So right now, I will go Tennessee. Florida does have a lot of uh, question marks. I think that uh, Florida will go as Anthony Richardson goes. I think that they're going to be able to establish the run, bringing over guys like Osiris 
Torrance, like you know, big, big, uh, you know, big uh, guard coming over from Louisiana is going to help. The running game is going to definitely help my Florida Gators. Kevin, I mean Kevin, BJ, I do agree that Tennessee and Hendon Hooker, once he got put into the lineup, they were really, really good. The thing about that offense is it, it depends so much on the defense when you think about saying, hey, if we do go three and out, can the defense give us a three and out to get us right back out there on the field? For my money, I'm going to go Kentucky. I like Spencer Rattler, right? But he's he's at South Carolina not because it worked out at the previous school. It's because it didn't. It's because as good as he was, everybody keeps going back to his freshman year, freshman year, freshman year. I'm going to, for my money, I'm going to go with uh, Kentucky. Kentucky is always going to be Will Levis, you know, another year in the system. You mentioned Chris Rodriguez coming back, a guy that's really, really good as far as, like, giving them a solid running game. The thing about Kentucky is you know they're going to play solid defense. They scratch and claw every, like, outside of maybe Georgia, they're going to be in every single game they're in this year. I think the Mark Stoops, I mean, outside of uh, Nick Saban, the second longest tenure coach in the SEC, doesn't get the credit they deserve because we can't get past yeah, it's Kentucky football, not Kentucky basketball, but for my money, Will Levis uh, got a chance to be a first-round pick, top-ten pick, by the way. Chris Rodriguez adds some depth as far as like giving you a quality running game to complement the passing game. Like I mentioned, they're going to be uh, going to be really, really good on defense again. Give me them Wildcats. Yeah, I'm going to go Kentucky uh, as well, fellas. I, I, I think, again, they quietly, quietly had a terrific season. Uh, last year, I think Levis more comfortable in year two. Uh I think they got the run game, their offensive line. I think defensively they'll be all right. I think they'll be all right. I, I, we've seen them kind of be consistent, at least, on defense uh, under Stoops. So I'm going to go with Kentucky ahead of Tennessee. I, I'm interested to see what Tennessee does. Uh, again, I don't know if Tennessee can get off the field when they need to. It might be hellacious uh, <laughs> to stop offensively, offensively, but if you can't get off the field in a key spot, that could be the difference for me. I'm going to go with Kentucky. All right, take two. Who is your number two team in the West right now? Yeah, and you could go a couple of ways here, uh, obviously. I I think I'm leaning LSU, and, and I know there are clearly questions with LSU. Again, new coaching staff coming in with Brian Kelly, maybe a little bit uh, of a quarterback controversy potentially there. But uh, quietly, I, I know more focus is probably paid to – High school recruiting than the transfer portal, but you saw LSU do really well in the transfer portal, especially along the offensive line. Went out and got a Miles Frazier from FIU, who was an All American type player. Uh, Brian Kelly's first recruiting job when he got to LSU, make sure Kayshawn Boutte stayed in town. He did. He is one of the best receivers in the country, could be a top 10 pick. And regardless of what you have at quarterback or anywhere else, you're going to have a guy that can make a play, score a touchdown, blink of an eye there with Boutte. So I think having him is a huge uh, uh, asset difference maker there. Defensively, you have B.J. Ojolari coming in uh, as an edge rusher, setting the tone. LSU always has an edge rusher that can kind of bring it and and uh, be, that, be that point of attack person defensively. I think that the depth is good along the offensive line and along the defensive line. And I also think that Brian Kelly's a really good coach and, and his success at Notre Dame has been consistent. Now, you look around at some of the other contenders, A&M, they have a lot of talent. That defensive line with Jimbo Fisher, I mean, they've been very confident this offseason. What about, what about the quarterback position? Are you stable there? Can you score enough points week to week? Uh, can, you, can you finally make it to that SEC championship game level? I think you look at Arkansas maybe as a sleeper. Uh, Jalen Catalan, one of my favorite players in the whole country, the safety for Arkansas, big-time star. 
but are you are you balanced enough throughout your roster? I think Auburn maybe takes a step back. I think Mississippi State is hard to get a feel for. Uh, Ole Miss might be one of those other teams where you just don't know. So much movement in the transfer portal, but Lane Kiffin's done a really good job. I just think, uh, of course, Alabama's a clear number one, but I think you have star power at LSU. I will go with the Tigers at number two. Woo, man, the number two team, once again, oh, man. It's, you wanted to be Texas A&M with everything they're doing, making all this noise uh, in the offseason with, you know, with the number one recruiting class, but you always got to give those classes you know, one or two years to kind of see you know, how they're going to uh, shape up BJ. Yeah, bringing a guy in like Brian Kelly into LSU uh, definitely makes a huge difference. But I think it is Ole Miss. I think what happens with a team like Ole Miss is, I mean, we get so caught up in uh, what Sam Pittman is doing at Arkansas, LSU getting a guy like Brian Kelly, you know, what in the world is going on with Auburn. Every time you don't expect them to be good, they are good. Ten wins. And all people say, well, you got to replace Matt Corral. No, 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 no. No, this offense and what Lane Kiffin is doing with his offense. And they're not going to be top 10, top 15 in recruiting. They're going to go out there. And for those of you who didn't know, uh, if you haven't heard, not to throw, Matt Corral said he did re- uh, regret uh, not going down there with them boys. He said, I, I probably should have went down there with them boys. But that's another – that's another. Co- what does that have to do with who you're saying? Oh, I'm, I'm just – I'm just, you know, because I, I never forgave Matt Corral. He let, uh, he let, oh, he let old Jim McElwain uh, scare him off to go up there to, you know, Ole Miss. Anyway – for my money, it is going to be Ole Miss, BJ, because like we said, you know, when you got a coach that has an offense that you just got to play and plug guys. People say, it's Macker. I don't think it is the quarterback. I think it's the style of the style of offense that they want to play. Very, very sophisticated offense. You got to have a guy that has, you know, can utilize his wheels as well as his arm. But Sam Pittman, I like him. I like Brian Kelly, but I'm going to go with them boys from Ole Miss. Yeah, it's tough because I think it is Alabama, and then there's a gap to everybody else. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, LSU? We'll see. Brian Kelly's got the pedigree. Uh, can he step into the SEC and just jump in feet running or dancing, as the case may be, uh, since it is Brian Kelly? Uh, I would say, BJ, to disagree with you, I would say that Jimbo Fisher has been less confident uh, than he was. I mean, last year, remember, he was on the circuit saying, we're going to beat Alabama. I haven't heard that this year. I heard a lot of, why don't we go dig around Nick Saban's closet? Get your eyes off my program. I think... They're building something there at Texas A&M, but I don't know if they're quite there. I'm going to say Ole Miss right now. They quietly won two, 10 games last year. Ole Miss won 10 games last year, and nobody really talks about it. Why? Because Saban and Jimbo kind of go back and forth at each other, and you had the, you know, the classic game there. You had LSU and, and their turmoil. Now you have Ole Miss won 10 games. You get Jackson Dart coming in. I think with Lane Kiffin's offense, they're going to be a tough matchup. I, I think – I think playing for seconds, like playing for fourth right now in the in the SEC West, because I don't think it matters. Uh, people are, I think, are that far behind Alabama right now. But I'll go Ole Miss there in my number two spot. All right, take three, fellas. What are your thoughts? CBS Sports put out a uh, full ranking of college football teams, one to one hundred and thirty. Georgia Southern comes in at one hundred and nineteenth out of one hundred and thirty. What are your thoughts about CBS Sports uh, putting the Eagles at one hundred and nineteenth, despite the fact the media picked them? fourth in the east in the Sun Belt. Yeah, that's too low. That's too low. I mean, I, look, this is a this is a program that it might take a couple of weeks, it might take a season. I mean, anytime you have a transition where you have a new coaching staff and you're changing some of your philosophy a little bit, yeah, there may be some ups and downs and I think there are some questions, but this is still a program with a lot of talent, a program with a lot of pride. Clay Helton's won uh big games. He's won consistently. Uh, ben, I know you were talking about Brian Ellis coming in with that offense, setting records, doing all kind of 
crazy stuff production-wise at Western Kentucky that not many programs around the country have been able to match. Now, the schedule is very difficult. Uh, we know that. The schedule's challenging, but with those challenges come opportunities. You're going to have a chance to go to Nebraska. You're going to have a chance to play against Grayson McCall in Coastal Carolina. You're going to have, I believe, last week of the season, uh, Appalachian State in Statesboro. You're going to have early on in the season, and we'll chat with Sean Elliott later, you're going to have the, the rivalry with Georgia State. I mean, you're going to have a lot of games where a lot of people are watching, but I think this program has recruited well. You've gone out and you've done well in the transfer portal. You know, we'll see with Kyle Van Treese at quarterback, a veteran, uh, has been around college football. I believe, what, this is his fifth or sixth year around college football, but uh, you have talent at running back. Gerald Green was very productive a year ago. I think you're going to be good at the line of scrimmage. Now, on paper, do you sit here and say, we know for a fact Georgia Southern is going to be better than Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina in the East or Georgia State? No, I don't think you can say that. I think there are questions, and I think it's fair to say and acknowledge there are some unknowns. What's the offensive identity going to be? What's the balance going to be? How's it all going to fit together? But I think I think 119th is way too low. This is a reflection of who you are, not who you could who you could become, and it's a reflection of where you at as far as like uh, this conference that you're in. I mean, I still give Jared Binko, athletic director for uh, Georgia Southern, a lot of credit going out there and getting Clay Hilton. But it's a lot of question marks, BJ. And when you got too many question marks, you know, how do we know how they're going to look on offense? What type of defense are they going to run, even though that's, that's probably going to be the strength of their team? J.D. King, you know, we wish him nothing but the best, but, you know, had to, had to retire from football. So the thing about it is this. People be asking, hey, why do certain teams look so different when they go away from what they're known for, right? Georgia Southern, is gonna be, it's going to be crazy watching them not, you know, not run the option out there. And I, and I get it. You want to try to – that has a lot more to do with recruiting. But, B.J., you're talking about going to Nebraska. You're talking about Coastal. You talk about Georgia State. I mean, you, I mean, you talk about app. I mean, the Sun Belt is the best. I'm sorry. It is the best G5 conference in, in, in college football. You don't got to like it. Ask how many teams are trying to play the Sun Belt out of conference? Not many. So I just think that when you look at the fact that, yes, they, uh, every team in college football has potential. But most teams, they got as many question marks as Georgia Southern is. New offense, we don't know how it's going to look. You know, uh, you know, defense, I mean, we know that's going to be the strength, especially in the secondary. We don't know how they're going to look. Who's going who's gonna to be the starter at quarterback? How are they going to utilize him? Well, so, and then, got to go to Nebraska. Got to go to, you know, Coastal. So, I do, I do think, uh, you know, uh, Kevin, you always saying this, the, res, the disrespect card, everybody's going to do it. Alabama had a rebuilding year last year. What the hell is that? Rebuilding year in the national championship. So, I know Coach, uh, Coach he understands that he has a, uh, some big shoes to fill as far as, like, the tradition down there. Uh, you know, in Statesboro, mm -hmm. yes, 119, that's all the motivation you need. Yeah, I think uh, there's 131 coaches, 131 coaches are going to play the disrespect card. Nobody believes we could do it. Coach of preseason number one. I don't care. Nobody thinks we're going to get it done. <laughs> I mean, they all do it. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, count us out all you want. I mean, Nick Saban, like I said, hey, we were rebuilding last year. Okay. Okay. No, I, I think that's a little low, but I will say three and nine last year. You got question marks on how you transition out of the offense. What's it going to be? Now, the pedigree of the coaching staff you brought in looks pretty good, right? But what does that transition look like? How, how good can the offense be? How quickly can they get up to speed? How quickly do they iron out all the kinks? I mean, you go out there looking like you have no identity, a bunch of three and outs, it could be bad. Your schedule's tough, right? Uh, your, your schedule is very tough. So... 
I think it might be a little low. How low? I don't know. Until I until I see. I mean, I, are they ninety ninth? I mean, you get to some of these. I think you're kind of digging in the weeds a little bit. This this lead seems to be a little low, but I don't know if it's egregiously low. Uh, maybe by 15, 20 spots, but. Um, I don't know if it's much different than that. I'm kind of waiting to see with Georgia Southern. I think Clay Helton's going to do a good job, but he's got to go do it, right? You're taking over a team that went 3-9 and nine and didn't compete on the scoreboard in a lot of games. Uh, ben, you know this. There's a difference in being 3-9 and nine and, and looking at it and saying, we lost nine games. We lost eight of them by a possession. Okay, well, that, that signals you might get a pretty quick turnaround. I don't know how many of those games Georgia Southern had last year where it was like, yeah, if we could have just – they had a couple of games where – it wasn't even close. And you've got to figure out a way to close that gap and win a couple more games. Going to be interesting there in Statesboro. we got more to come. Troop talking about 15 minutes. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here. We'll get some Braves baseball coming up in just a little bit. But some uh, breaking news. The NFL going to appeal the Deshaun Watson decision. So Roger Goodell. Uh, has officially filed their brief, or uh, how would you explain it there, uh, to appeal the Deshaun Watson situation. And Roger Goodell will now pick who hears the appeal. So, I mean, then I think common sense would tell you if two people are having a dispute and, and you don't like the way it came out, and the side that doesn't like the way it came out gets to pick who hears the appeal, how do most people think this is going to go? Uh, and a lot of people really upset, obviously, that it was only six games, fans, some people around the league, and obviously people upset that, you know, Calvin Ridley gets more time for gambling than Deshaun Watson did. I know not guilty by a court of, court of law, but and the judge came out in her own statement and said, oh, it was, yeah, it was bad. And you paid off 20, or paid off, excuse me, settled with 20 uh, women. Uh, that's something, obviously, you can say, well, I don't want to fight the legal process. Well, that's also, if you're innocent, that's a lot of people to pay off, and you can say either way you want to on, on that one. So it's going to get appealed. The league allegedly, before this all started, said they wanted a year uh, suspension. Ben, how do you think this plays out now that Roger Goodell essentially can, well, he's, he, not essentially, he will get to pick who hears this thing? I think Roger Goodell is showing why he, he, he likes to stay away from the disciplinary process. The reason why he's picking somebody is he goes, look, I know, I know I'm going to have the final say, but I want to be able to say, take it out of my hands, let people put it in the hands of people who do this. This is what they do from judges and whoever he's going to pick. But if you don't think that public scrutiny, if you don't think that, that the outcry has a lot to do with this, I'm not saying he wasn't going to do this. And, and let me just say this. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what Deshaun Watson gets, it's not going to be enough. No matter what he gets. If it goes from 6 to 8, 8 to 10, 10 to 16, because what happens is, right, Roger Goodell is showing people, I want to be over the league. I don't want to discipline people. Because no matter what Roger Goodell does, he goes, my reputation got bad because no matter what I do, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong for it. If I give him a year, it's too much. If I give him six games, it's not enough. So Roger Goodell is saying, okay, we suggested a year, and maybe, and maybe this, uh, this third-party hey. entity – you know, might, might adhere to that. And this is from, uh, from Adam Schefter. Uh, the personal conduct policy is a tweet. States that the appeal will be, quote, processed on an expedited basis, and the commissioner or his designee, quote, may overturn, reduce, modify, or increase the discipline previously issued. It will be the final and bind. It will be final and binding on all parties. That's from the uh, personal conduct policy of the NFL. Make no mistake about this. Everything you just said, Kevin, it could, it could, be, it could be expanded. It could be reduced. 
And what happens is when you get two different entities looking at the same thing and they're going to go through what the conduct policy is, that's why uh, Judge uh, Sue Robinson, what, the reason why she went through the conduct policy, she said, well, I'm not going to give them a year when y'all never gave anybody a year. But Roger Goodell is saying, listen, we're going to let this thing go through the full process. And once it goes through the full process, whether you like it or not, this is going to be the ruling, and we're going to move on. I think they're going to probably add add more games to it. Yeah, I mean, this 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 has to be extended, right? I mean, you, I, you would think, you, you would think, BJ, but, but this is the thing. The reason why you let it go through a judicial process is they they rule things different. We rule things through emotions, through feelings. They don't do that. They're looking at what, what it was. They're looking at how they how, how the NFL goes about things, and they're going to make a ruling. I would think it's going to be more games. I would think it's going to be more games. But if anything, Roger Goodell is saying, look, I could have. if Roger Goodell comes out and says we're going to take the six games, move on, people go crazy. No matter what uh, no matter what this uh, third party does, people, some people are going to like it, some people are not going to like it. But either way, the Browns are ready to go a full year without Deshaun Watson because, once again, his money doesn't kick in until next year. But I do think the NFL are trying to – they're trying to – you know, do damage control as best as they can right now because one of the faces of their league is obviously under public scrutiny. And until he goes out there on the field, which is all going to go away when he does, they're trying to they're trying to give it the full you know our process and, and give it the, you know give it the full due diligence that it does deserve. And Kevin, I understand you reading the uh, tweet saying that you know there are multiple options for the appeal, but whatever happens will happen. I mean, you you the the appeal had to be filed and it had to be filed in an attempt to increase the suspension i mean uh, especially given the speculation the reporting of what the nfl wanted suspension wise i guess entering the initial uh uh, uh review from from the judge yeah i think this is going to be increased this should be increased i mean what are we what do we think i mean d- I- I- is it six to eight is it six to ten is it six to twelve could it be a full season it, it, it probably, it probably, i think it's going to be extended Always remember when you when you talk about the NFL, you always got you always got uh, two entities. You got the players and you got the coach. I mean, you got the players, you got the owners. So what happened already is quote the player side, the NFL PA side. That's that's Judge Sue Robinson. Now you got to go through the league, right? So this is what the league is doing. Like, and you don't want it, this is what he's really doing. They don't want no Stephen Ross type stuff. The league, you know, investigated itself and found the league did no wrongdoing. What? Well, and 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 and. <laughs> Apparently, this is not going to be Roger Goodell's decision. He's going to well, well, I mean, well, well, I mean, it won't be. But I mean, again, Roger what are Goodell the objects? I get to pick who oversees yeah, the appeal. There's going to so be a, a person, a, a a judge, or a, a you, person, you a third party. So, but but I, he but gets I would, to pick. I would, it. I would always ask this: if this if this is a quote third party that has a lot of dealings with the NFL, you would want to go back and see how they ruled. And this I don't. This is not. This is not like out of the realm of you know things that have happened before. It's because of who it is. It's because, of, you know, because like I said, the NFL is saying, hey, Stephen Ross one day, Deshaun Watson the next day. So it's probably going to go back to Miami, you know, come, you know, come, uh, you know, come Thursday or Friday. But Deshaun Watson and the Browns know that the NFL is going to have to do something. Because six games, whether you like Deshaun or not, whether you like the NFL or not, that's not going to cut it. But once again, let me not, let me not put the cart before the horse because if they come back and say, hey, we think it's going to be four games. So this thing could get crazier before it gets better, but even I, though, but the, but but the bad guy in the end is going to be the bad guy forever. That's going to be Roger Goodell, no matter what he stands about that podium and says. People ain't going to like it. Just I, I don't ever I don't see a way it gets less. I mean, the league allegedly said they wanted more. They get to pick who hears the appeal. One would think if I get to pick who hears the appeal, you're going to rule kind of in my favor in some way, uh, shape or form. I would expect it to go up. I, I, again, I want to know how you justify again. 
you're violating the personal conduct policy, and you have not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine, not ten, not all the way up into the, you, know, you settled with 20, and there's more. How you can say via the personal conduct policy that that's six games, because the personal conduct policy is about just, just that, Ben. What does it mean to the league that you haven't behaved yourself? And you gave a dude a year, at least, yeah, for gambling in Florida when he wasn't with the team he was playing, and nobody knew about it until it came out in a report that he gambled on a team. And you gave him a year. I, I, I think the league is going to add more games. I, I, I think the public sentiment I think so is, to, is to add more games. Yeah. Uh, because people are looking for some kind of thing, like how does this make sense? the way you're legislating out uh, punishment. we got more to come. We'll have Troop Talk. Ben sits down with former Georgia quarterback Quincy Carter. When we come back, it's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now it's Troop Talk with Ben Troop. If we're not victorious, let no one come back alive. Not that kind of troop. This kind What up, everybody? I am Ben Troop. This is Troop Talk, and my next guest, I mean, uh, I got it. Obviously, I had a, you know the pleasure of playing against at the University of Georgia when I was at the University of Florida, but what he's doing in life, man, is something that we don't celebrate enough. It's being former players. We don't get an opportunity to just celebrate each other as men. Yes, former second-round pick, obviously was a drafted to the, also drafted in the MLB by the Cubs, quarterback coach now for at advanced quarterback camp, former Georgia Bulldog, but more importantly, celebrating three years of sobriety, the great Quincy Carter. What's going on with you today, Quincy? Hey, I'm great, man. I appreciate that introduction, man. I'm good, though. How you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, before we even get to anything <clears throat> football-related, three years of sobriety. I think sometimes when people see the, the, the professional baseball player, the professional football player, the great college football player representing the great Southwest DeKalb out of, you know, out of Atlanta, Georgia. They forget about the person, and sometimes we forget about ourselves. And when real life happens, they say, well, wait a minute, this happened to Quincy Carter? Like, yes. I mean, talk about, your, talk about the journey, but talk about celebrating three years. Man, it, it feels great, man. I, you know, I, uh, I, I talked to my sister a couple days before, and I told her, God willing, I'm going to have three days, and I want you to uh, – because, man, I'm almost uh, cell phone computer illiterate with far as adding little ad libs on pictures and all that. And I told him, man, I said, you know something, uh, Kia? I said, man, I'm starting to feel like myself in high school. So I told her, grab this picture and put it uh, – and put uh, the words that I'm starting to feel like this guy again. Uh, and that's truly how you know how I feel, man. You know, um, and you said it best, man. We we sometimes we get lost in the shuffle in sports, uh, and that certainly happened with me, uh, especially doing, dealing with some things in my personal life um, and tinkering around with some things I ain't had no business doing. And then next thing you know, man, I didn't took off to heavier drugs, you know, cocaine, eggs, alcohol, but it all led and started, man, with that dangerous marijuana that everybody's trying to, you know, convince everybody is legal. But, heck, you can't even get no job sitting around smoking weed, uh, So, which is crazy in itself for people to try to convince these kids that it's legal, man. But, uh, but man, it's been a journey, man. I, uh, I really have found myself, more importantly, you know, I um, – 
I found a peace and serenity, but that all, you know, comes from the relationship I have with God and knowing no matter what, you know, my life is going to be okay. God's got the strength, wisdom, and love to give me. And, man, it's been quite a journey, man, this last three years growing as a person. It really has. Talking with the great Quincy Carter, former New York Jet, former Dallas Cowboy, former Cub, former Georgia Bulldog, but more importantly, Understanding that, you know, in this life, man, when you when you when you at your worst, you get to find out who's really for you. I think when you when everybody is smiling at you, you signing autographs, uh, you seem to be the toast of the town. You know, everybody wants to be around you. But when you at your worst, you get to see the people who was there for you, regardless of what you was doing. How many people in your life at this? You talked about your sister, uh, you know, just a minute ago, Quincy. But talk about the people who you didn't know the type of unconditional love these people had for you. It took you being at your worst for them to show you their best. Yeah, buddy. It really simplified that friend list, and you got it. And no knock, you know, on some of my guys who ran from me, but, you know, uh, my mom, man, my stepfather, my uh, I don't have bi- biological brothers and sisters, but I do have God sisters, you know, Delinda, Chastity, Kayla. Uh, they stood in there with me, man, in the trenches, and the uh, only thing they could do was pray, you know, as some <laughs> – Excuse me. In certain parts of my life, they could only do um, was uh, was prayer. Uh, but man, they certainly stuck in there with me, man. And uh, and it took me getting it straight. But you got it right, man. That friend list will narrow on you when you go through some things. But it's all love uh, from over on this side. Quincy, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, my father, I had to deal with uh, him. Uh, you know, going through his uh, his journey. I like to call it your journey of you know dealing with. Uh, you know, alcohol and drugs and different things. I never judged him. I never put an expiration date. Somebody told me, you know, I asked somebody, how do how do I deal with my father when he's going through what he's going through? He says, don't put an expiration date on a person who you don't you don't share the same reality. You can't say, oh, because it's not me. But also, you also gain people in this journey. Like sometimes we say, man, I, I I'm in and out of these facilities. Talk about the talk about the people you gained along the way because now you represent, you become a voice. For these communities, because when people hear drug and alcohol and different things, we kind of sometimes shun these people as if to say, hey, man, I just I just made a bad decision. Talk about the people you get to be a a voice for a face for and kind of speak on behalf of the people who don't have who don't have a voice. Yeah. And I miss one shoe, one of the most important people in my life. Um, Almost two, though, but one very important because he was dealing with addiction, you know, alongside with me. And uh, that's my grand sponsor, Hollywood Henderson. Um, And just, man, having somebody like him in my corner who really understands what I was going through over all these years. Because, shoot, we met back in 2008. And so he's been on this up-and-down journey with me. And then my high school coach, uh, Steve Davenport, uh, who's been in this journey with me. But then, you know, all my uh, sober companions, uh, some great friends, man, who I can really go to and really talk about what I'm actually feeling. Uh, Because, man, you know, um, through this journey uh, being, man, what I have found is that, you know, addictive people, you know, we think and act and do things differently. And we just do. And so uh, so to gain some of those friends, some of my coworkers, 
man, a dear friend of mine, Marsha Stone, who didn't hesitate to come pick me up uh, down there in South Texas where I was at and bring me to Austin, man. Should I can go on and on, you know, my sponsees, guys, that I'm, you know, being able to give it back and be in their lives, man. It's just a beautiful thing. But, you know, when I really look at it, um, you know, like like-minded, spirits always connect and so when it's negativity in your life those like-minded people when you're not doing well heck those are the people that are going to be in your life but when you you know doing the right things and uh, everything's being god-led then you're going to get those special people in your life man just like your spirit is so uh it's really simple math to be honest with you Talking with the great Quincy Carter, former second-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys, also played for the New York Jets. Also got drafted by the Chicago Cubs. Uh, for, uh, SEC freshman of the year, uh, second team. I mean, a second team All SEC. Also played for them Georgia Bulldogs. Quincy, there, there are there are people that I, I I know I said it earlier. They only get to show you their best when you at your worst. I wish life wasn't like that, but a lot of times when we going through something. The shame of it is bigger than, than the decision itself. Like, man, I don't even want nobody to see me like this. It's almost like the persona of who I am has become who I am instead of me being who I am. Talk about, talk about just understanding. Like you said, you like, I feel like myself. At what point did you realize, look, man, I'm going to put myself in, these facil- in this facility, and I'm not going to come out until I'm ready. And what did it take for Quincy Carter to get back to himself and say, look, I enjoy the person staring back, me, staring back at me in that mirror when I'm looking in it. Sadly enough, Ben, it took all the things that I went through. It really did. Some some people get it on the first time, uh, but like myself, man, I really tried to still convince myself that I can go back to being that 17, 18-year-old kid that only smoked marijuana. But the problem is I would get some time up under my belt, and then I would call it, I like to call it going back to that weed maintenance, and I would try to go back to that weed maintenance, and I'd be daggone. I had then picked up a habit uh, that, you know, I call it, you know, going past that threshold where now we're doing harder drugs, and, 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 and I never got back to that 17 and 18 year old kid and cannot get back there, you know, but I tried to medicate it and, um, and do the weed thing. And next thing you know, man, I'm, you know, I got a bowl full of cocaine and, and, and a fifth of liquor. And then that whole just uh snowball effect just starts over again. And that's what people deal with addiction wise, man. Sometimes, you know, we, we realize that, man, this thing has really gotten hooked up. Us, uh, but then we try to go back, you know, and do some things and do it the way we used to do it. But once you pass that threshold, man, it's over. The party's over. But it took me going through so much, man, uh, before I realized it. And, and see, that's the, the part of addiction a lot of people just don't get. Like, well, why can you just not stop really destroying your life? But that is the disease right there. That is addiction. And there's only two ways to come up out that thing, being one, surrendering to God or higher power. Don't get tripped off on that. 
Minds is God. It can be a higher power, but it got to be something outside of ourselves. All right. And the second thing, man, is you got to work these steps. And then it's a lifestyle after that. It's not a full time job, but man, you're literally fixing yourself every day to be the best person that you can be and know how to really deal with life because that's the biggest trick about uh, anybody who's going through addiction. All right. We don't know how to deal with life. And so we relearn those things, you know. So it's a beautiful thing, man, to keep exploring, you know, uh, my awareness gets heightened. Um, you know, I'm prepared for any situation. No, I'm not perfect, but good God almighty, man, I know I handle things well better well better than I did even in my early, um, shoot, my late teens and early 20s. He is the great Quincy Carter, former Georgia Bulldog, second Second-round pick by the Dallas Cowboys. Also spent some time with the New York Jets. Also was a draft pick by the, by the Chicago Cubs from the great Southwest DeKalb High School in Decatur, Georgia. But more than that, he's human. And sometimes, Quincy, when it comes to being former athletes, sometimes we have to realize that we human beings, that we don't, we don't got to see ourselves as the world see ourselves. Yes, we, were, we, were, you know, we had our moment in the sun, but that's not all of who we are. That's just a part of who we are. But, Quincy, man, I appreciate you doing life with me today on this interview. I think sometimes, you know, the great, my daddy said the greatest story there is is the redemption story. Boy, if you think I was down and out, or my daddy, as my daddy would say, but those who counted out Quincy Carter – Cannot count, and I'm and I'm one of the ones that's definitely riding, rocking with you, Quincy. Man, I'm, man, I appreciate you taking the time today, man. We gonna do this again, QuincyCarter17.com at Advanced Quarterback Camp, Quincy. Keep doing what you're doing up there in the great state of Texas, man. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Stay blessed out there, brother. Appreciate Thank it so much. That was true talk with the great Quincy Carter. We'll be back with more three and out. This is Marty Smith from ESPN, and you're listening to 3 and Out with Ben, DJ, and Kevin. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, and uh, news that makes you feel old. I uh, saw this earlier today, fellas. Tom Brady apparently turns 45 today. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Tom. He is 45. Apparently, there is not another single player in the league who is 40 years old. So he is Grandpa Tom out there playing football. Gives you a little, little perspective on, like, what are you doing? What are you doing still out there, Tom Brady? It, it, and t- and statistically, he was the best QB last year. Tom Brady got drafted, what, 90, what, 98? Somewhere in 98, I want to say. 98, 99, somewhere in there, yeah. No, Kyle Pitts. Or 2000, guys. 99, 2000, I think. Kyle Pitts and those guys were born in 99, 2000. So he's playing with guys that were born... When he, when he first got drafted. And people say, why does he keep coming back? Because, I mean, right, wrong, and different, who's better than him? I didn't say who could throw the ball better than him. I didn't say who has the, you know, the flair you know, for, you know, for uh, excitement more than him. Who's more athletic than him? Who's better than him? BJ, he's 45 years old, right? Every day, Father Time is waiting on Tom Brady at the end of his, at the end of his, uh, of his driveway, and he slapped the hell out of him. Because he said, bruh, because this is the thing. Everybody says in order to have longevity in any career, you have to change everything about you. What you eat, 
how you sleep, how you work out, what may have you. But no one ever said that I've never seen nobody get better over time like Tom Brady. Maybe LeBron, maybe Kobe, right? Maybe Tiger. You got to accept him to the rule. But he, his best statistical year was 2021. I, and people and some could say, well, why would they give why would they give the MVP to Aaron Rodgers? Because they thought Tom Brady was retiring. And he did retire. Then he went home with his kids for about two months. <laughs> right back in Tampa. I've never seen anything like Tom Brady, and I'm sorry. What he he is Cal Ripken Jr. I don't know how many games it is, Kevin. You're not gonna see this again. What, what if Patrick Mahomes win the Super Bowl? He can call Eli. Because Eli got two. He can call Ben Rosenberger. Right? Well, I, I just think the money's so big, you weren't going to see guys. No, why no, no, why no, no, would no. you want to play 10 no, or 45? What, make, what makes Tom Brady go, it's not, the seven, it's not the seven championships. It's not the 10 Super Bowl appearances. I got $325 million when I leave. I'm already good in my next life. And I could stink at my next life. And I'm going to get $325 whatever, million deal or whatever they gave him. Tom Brady is winning, man. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say what nobody wants to say. Baby mama, supermodel, wife, supermodel. <laughs> That's what we want to say. It's okay to say it. I mean, think about it. If somebody said, man, what would you want your life to be? Man, I want to be a starter quarterback in the National Football League. I want to be married to a supermodel. Well, that's real life. His name is Tom Brady. And he's I coming mean, back for another year. I mean, yeah, he's, he's 45. Is he older than you? Yes, he is. And that's like, that puts it more into perspective. Because I know I was never a great athlete like that. But I was like, so somebody my age is out there running around with 20-year-olds, and doing a, doing a good job, like doing an elite job, right? Statistically, he did the best job of any quarterback yep. in the National Football League. Now, obviously, you could say, well, Matt Stafford did the best job. They won a Super Bowl. I get it. But, like, in the regular season, nobody was better. Touchdowns, I mean, yards, he was up there. Statistically, he was top five in a lot of stuff at 44 years old. Like, I can't imagine... Me being me today, waking up and saying, I'm going to training camp to do what? Take a picture? Like, he's out there, you know. Did Tom Brady throw- win the MVP when he was 40? So since he's turned 40, he's an MVP, Super Bowl, and We got hour three coming up when we return Sean Elliott, final hour. Welcome back. Three and out, final hour here on this Wednesday. Braves, a tough loss earlier to the Phillies. Now it sets up for a big weekend in New York. Five games in four days. Can the Braves close the gap here heading into mid-August? We'll have to wait and see, but you'll have some of those new uh, pickups available in New York. Rysel Iglesias and uh, Odorizzi are expected to make their debuts. Odorizzi on Saturday is part of that doubleheader, so we'll get to see some new guys there as far as the, the new Braves are concerned. That being said, uh, college football is also in the home stretch towards the season. Nick Saban uh, saying in a radio interview, you know, last year was, quote, kind of a rebuilding year. They went to the national championship game, and that was just their second loss of the season. I mean, they also, so I won, guess the, by they ba- also I guess, won the SEC. Yeah, so I guess by Bama standards, SEC champions, no national championship, lose an SEC game. You're in a rebuilding year. And you could make an interesting case. Georgia fans don't get mad just yet. But you lost three receivers. You could make a case that maybe they don't lose any games, potentially, uh, last year. I know you can't play that game. Yeah, Everybody I mean, gets that's hurt. Hard, that's hard but to do. I would, I, I, I'm, I'm using this more in this sense. Georgia fans, stop getting mad at me. 
If you say you are in a rebuilding year, I only use that point to say you are a couple healthy players away from being as good as you've been. And you're technically rebuilding. So I, I, I look at it, that's an absurd comment. Now, did we have people say, if you're going to get Alabama, last year was the year to do it? Yep, but that doesn't mean you're rebuilding. That means you're just not as good as you have been, right? That's like saying the, uh, the L.A. Dodgers. Boy, we, we, we're really rebuilding. Why? Because we only made the NLCS last year. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. And correct right. me if I'm wrong, looking back on last year. You know who's rebuilding? The Pirates. Right. They're rebuilding. They lost to Texas A&M on a last-second right. field goal at, in College Station. And then got smacked in the fourth quarter by Georgia. I mean, yeah. that, yeah. but, but, but still, and you lost in the yeah. national championship sure. game where, to your point, you were down a couple of guys. I mean, Ben, ben you've talked about this before. How do you know a dynasty is a dynasty when you kind of take it for granted, right? When it's like, oh, Alabama. You make absurd statements yeah, yeah. like we're well, rebuilding. Well, this too. But it's like, oh, Alabama, they're going to be in the national title. I mean, for how many years now have we have we been able to say in August, yeah, national title favorite, maybe number two, number three, Alabama. And what's the case this year? I mean, they might have the two best players in the country. I mean, in, 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 in Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And they're going to be right there. Uh, and it is funny, Kevin, because going back to last year's SEC media days, that was the talking point. Everybody's whispering, this is when you get Alabama. No, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're whispering like that. I think people said, look, if, you, if you're going to get them, get them now, because they next year they're going to have a bunch of dudes coming back. The national championship right, yeah. game. They still make the national championship game with injuries that will be very difficult for a lot of teams to absorb. Yeah, I mean, I respect the standard. Listen, a mindset like this is what makes – Nick Saban, Nick Saban, mm-hmm. and is what makes Alabama, Alabama. Uh-huh. But that's absurd. Huh? Like, like, like making the national championship game and winning the Ben, you won the SEC. Mm-hmm. That matters. Yeah. You have an SEC championship ring. I do, so when you, my mama got my ring somewhere. You yeah. won the SEC. Yep. That's all time. Yep. Winning the SEC but, and losing but, in the national on. That's hold not on. a rebuilding hold year on, or, or what kind of a rebuilding all right. year. Hold on, though. It is absurd unless it is Alabama. I think that is a good statement. Kobe, may he rest in peace. Kobe's in the finals. Kobe them up by two. They say, Kobe, man, you up by two, man. Uh, why you look like that, man? You guys get you that because the job isn't finished. See, when you are Alabama, every single Alabama recruiting class has won a national championship under Nick Saban. Alabama last year, in their mind, underachieved. Yes, they won the SEC. Yes, they was in the national championship. But in their mind, hey, man, it was a rebuild. You know who don't like that? Yeah, Georgia fans. You know why? Because it seemed like it's minimalizing what y'all did. It's not, it's not taking away what y'all did. Okay, but can I ask you this? Yeah. Because I, even though it's hard to say, maybe you can understand we underachieved. Our mm-hmm. goal was a national championship. We didn't realize it, so we underachieved. Is that the same as, quote, kind of a rebuilding year? Because I'm like Kevin. When I, when I think rebuilding, even for like an Ohio State, a Clemson, a Georgia, you know, you're talking about, what, three or four losses? I mean, that's normally what you talk about with a rebuilding year. Yeah, but but, uh, but we uh, stop comparing greatness to the standard. There are a lot of teams out there that are great, incredibly. Ohio State, great program. You know, Georgia, great program. Clemson, great program. They ain't Alabama. They ain't Alabama. And Nick Saban, he has to use a different type of motivation. There ain't a player at Alabama don't think, one, they're not getting drafted. Two, they're not getting drafted high. And three, they're not going to win the natty. That's what they think. Other teams are saying, hey, man. We got a chance to be really, really good. Nick Saban has been wreaking havoc in the SEC. When he was in LSU, he was doing it. So I think what he is saying is, look, I'm just telling you how we feel in this building. In Tuscaloosa, we said we was going through a rebuild last year. 
Yes, we can still have Will Anderson. Yes, we finally got the first Heisman at quarterback in Alabama history, but we're going through a rebuild. And I think what happens is when people hear that, go, that's crazy. Man. Ain't no way. Because that's how we view Alabama. Ain't no way they're going through a rebuild, right? No, no, no. When they re no, no, no. A rebuild in real life is Atlanta. It's Jacksonville. That's a rebuild in real life. But they're not the standard. Nick, in the, in, the, uh, in the National Football League, the one coach that thinks that they can win every year, even if they don't, is Bill Belichick. He goes, hey, man, we can win over here. Why? Because that's all we've done. Yeah, I know you're going to attach me to uh, Tom Brady, things of that nature, right? But we win over here. But they say it's rough when you play over there. Pittsburgh, it's rough when you play for those type of organizations. Alabama is the creme de la creme when it comes to college football. So you're basically saying by saying this, and I understand it from from Nick Saban's standpoint. Like, like you know, every coach wants to win every game, and, and and you're right. Alabama is the standard. I get it. But you're basically saying because to Kevin's point, you yeah. won the SEC, yeah, the Heisman, but you didn't win the national championship. Nope. Are you saying that regardless of what else happens, if you do not win the national championship, it is a rebuilding year? Yes, because because the thing about it is this, right? There are certain things that we judge differently. You don't believe me? LeBron, LeBron, they went out in the first round. LeBron, Le, LeBron's 40 years old. I mean, I think there's a difference in disappointing no, versus no, no. a but rebuilding it's, it's, year. Hold on, I mean, Kevin, this is the thing, though. This is the thing, though, Kevin. If you're a coach at Alabama, right? If right. You're, if you're a coach, that's not absurd what you hear. You're like, dude, y'all, man, y'all just have to be here. Y'all just have to see it. Y'all just have to see how this dude is. He is very, very, very demanding. He doesn't, he doesn't treat. The assistant coach is that much different than he treats the players because when he says, hey, man, uh, it takes what it takes. You don't got to like it. That's why everybody, one, don't get recruited by Alabama, two, don't go there. So I think that when Nick Saban says things, he don't even bat an eye. He's like, hey, do you know you just said that a lot? And I said it again. It was a rebuild year. No, nah, man, you just saying that because y'all lost. No, I'm saying that because that's what it was. So you mean to tell me y'all could have went through a rebuild and still won it? Yep, but we didn't win it. So I think that what happens is, when you start talking about certain places, listen, I, I played for the Tennessee Titans, right? I played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I played for the, the then Oakland Raiders. They are not the media, they are not what runs the National Football League at all. Because what happens is when you start talking about the standard, Alabama's one of those places to where Nick Saban just seems to be a guy that goes, let's make a congratulations, uh, Jimbo. Congratulations, Kirby. But y'all know what's coming, right? Like y'all, like Kirby and them know. Even if Georgia is the team to beat in the East. Okay, let me ask you about country. Florida. Because because from what, 96 to 2008, mm -hmm. over a 12-year span, Florida won three national championships. Mm -hmm. That's pretty close to a dynasty. Yeah. I mean, three national championships in a 12-year span. If Florida wasn't competing for a national championship, was it a was it considered a rebuilding year? No, it was just a disappointing year. I think the, the, the whole thing about it is, too, Different, different, different things mean mean something different from you know to different people. It just depends on who you ask. But just like it's like what you say. It's like you ask somebody, what's a lot to you? Somebody gonna say three is a lot. Somebody gonna say a million. So it's the the. Or let uh, me ask you this, and and and, and I agree. I, I'm just trying to kind of find parallels to Alabama, even if they're relative. Georgia's the defending national champion. Georgia's got a lot to replace. They bring a lot back. They've been recruiting really well. Let, let's say Georgia goes. 10-2 and two this year, whatever, however many games you play in the regular season, make the college football playoff, lose in the first round. Is that a rebuilding year? I don't think it's a, re I don't know, I don't think it's a rebuild, re rebuilding year for a team um, like Georgia. I think, it's a, I think it's a really, really good year. But, but, you, but when you – listen, good is the enemy of great. And the thing about a team like Alabama, that is greatness. 
The re and, and greatness is something that you don't see all the time. You don't believe me? Um, Nick Saban them expect to win every year. Think about this. They expect to win. Every other team, man, we preparing to win. Well, we go out there and prepare to win. That team over there, they expect to win. You know why? When Alabama loses, it's breaking news. Somebody beat Alabama. Who the hell beat them? Because it doesn't happen that often. Nick Saban is saying, look, it is my job to instill in these players. We expect to win. That's why it's supposed to be hard. You're you going to like winning. You, you better enjoy working because I'm going to make you work for it. It's like this. LSU won that championship 2019, right? Clemson won a couple of national championships. Who, who, do they have to, who do they have to either beat in the game or beat to get to? That would be Alabama. I don't care who you are or where you are. Alabama is the only team that don't got to win the SEC. They're still going to be in the college football playoff. Alabama, they can win the SEC and obviously still get in. I just think that what happens is we don't see greatness. Is, greatness is like the word beast. We just throw it around like it happens all the time. No, 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 no. Greatness is a seldom thing. It, it's not all the time. Now, can I have great moments? Oh, man, I can show flashes of greatness. Alabama's great, period. You don't got to like it. I, I hate saying it, but it is the truth. Alabama is known throughout college football, no matter where you live, up there in the mountains of Utah. Oh, yeah, they play some ball down in Alabama. What about Georgia? They won last year. What about LSU? They had a moment. 2019 was an outlier for LSU. That was the first time LSU had beat Alabama in like seven, eight years. That's how good Alabama is. So I understand when it comes from a guy like Nick Saban, you know, because he says, listen, I am demanding, but Mike Loxley, Lane Kiffin, all these guys, they're going to be head coaches. Kirby Smart. So you mean to tell me that the national championship winner was on my staff? I'm just saying, he knows what he's doing. I just think that I'm just happy that them Gators on Alabama this year because they are the one barometer to where it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Because Kevin, Jimbo talked a lot of trash. He ain't saying nothing about winning this year, though. Last year, he made a declaration this year, you know, when we talk about our guys. What about the guy that said about the money, Coach Jimbo? He been here a month. <laughs> oh, you know, he been here a month? The guy that was talking about giving money? He was talking about the people in the stands. The people buying concessions? No, that's not what he was saying. But, hey, man, Alabama will be back. Will Anderson, the Terminator, Bryce Young. But they just added what? Eli Ricks, Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, they're going to be struggling in Alabama, Tuscaloosa this year. It's going to be rough. Yeah, nobody's feeling bad for Nick Saban <laughs> rebuilding. I, that, that's just that's a ludicrous statement to make if you're Nick Saban. Let me ask you this I don't quick. care how much success you've had. You finished second last year and you won your league. You're not rebuilding. You're, you're not rebuilding. And maybe I'm not You just didn't win it. I mean, yes, that's where all it is. I'm, I'm, I'm losing sight of the expectations kind of in, in, in the moment looking back or whatever, but like, for Miami in the 80s, or and, and and maybe these programs weren't you know quite with the consistency of Alabama, Nebraska in the 90s, Florida State in the 90s, was was the standard. If if we finish second, that's kind of a rebuilding year. I don't know. I was I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't privy to those conversations, but I could believe it was because you some of these expectations would be unbelievable if you actually was in these meetings listening to what these coaches are saying. Some of these things you hear them saying, ain't no way we're going to be able to do that. What do you mean we go the 2000 Ravens, right? The 2000 Ravens go, hey, man, Trent Dilford's going to be our quarterback, right? We got to go out there and be able to hold teams to seven points or less. What do you mean, ten points or less? Ain't no way we can do it. They did it. 2002 Bucks. Hey, man, we got this new guy named John Gruden. I mean, you know, you know, we got, you know, we got, we got Johnson, but, you know, back there at quarterback, we got Michael Pittman, we got Keyshawn Johnson. We got to be the best defense in the league to win it. They did it. I'm telling you, 
But a team like Alabama is saying this. Hey, man, what recruiting class was you? 2011, 2012, 2013? Najee Harris wasn't even going to Alabama. He was at the All-American game with Tua, and Tua said, come on over here with Tuscaloosa and me. But it's like the uh, uh, the uh, Vince Young-Reggie Bush yes. National Championship yes. game, right? Yes. One of the great games of all yes. time. USC, that's one of the great teams yes. of all. They didn't win the national championship. They did not win the national championship. I, I wouldn't classify that as kind of a rebuilding year for SC. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think uh, you know. I don't think Coach Carroll would say that was a rebuild. But at the same time, BJ, when last time you heard from Texas? When last time you heard from USC? It's almost like, look, man. Thank God I was in, I was two years removed from college. At the I get time, it. But, it's different. It's but amazing. I'm just saying, it's no, amazing. Wasn't, wasn't no HD back then. Wasn't no 4K back then. Wasn't no none of that. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like what Alabama is. I mean, here come another one. Like Alabama has gotten us to expect the way they expect. I mean, we just expect Alabama to win it. Yeah, but I thought you were for Florida. I am for Florida. But I, you asked me who I expect to win it. In my home, in the privacy of my own home, I expect to be them you know, boys running in Gainesville. But in real life. It's gonna be them boys with that crips and on because it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to beat them. Uh, again, I I appreciate you were rebuilding last year, but <laughs> but save it for somebody else. I, I mean, come on, that's only Nick Saban, I guess, could get away with that. Sean Elliott gonna join us coming up in about uh, 12, 13 minutes. Here we'll talk Georgia State football. They were picked third in the Sun Belt East and more. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. It is three and out here on this Wednesday. Sean Elliott, Georgia State head coach, going to join us. We'll talk some college football with him. Uh, some high expectations for that program as uh, they were picked third preseason in the East by the Sun Belt Media. So he will join us coming up here in just a little bit. Braves lose it earlier today. They get the big series coming up with the Mets this weekend. Five games in four days, big series there for the Braves. Also, you got training camps going on, busy time on the sports calendar, and you get all the nice highlights. Ben and I have been chuckling, uh, BJ, about who looks good in seven-on-seven and how many passes there. And then, uh, I don't know if Ben's just trying to uh, make me feel, but he's showing uh, the number one draft pick, Drake London, getting locked up in one-on-one coverage. And then we get videos from camp. Of Felipe Franks, quarterback slash tight end Felipe Franks, cooking linebackers cooking out there in, in pasture. So he's an athlete. So a guy that doesn't play tight end is tearing up your uh, your defense. Uh, that's not good news. Kevin, listen, we have we have we, we we've gone. I don't, we still got a couple of days left in the week. I mean, we, we used to do our D Orlando led better um, report because D Orlando starts with well, you know, it's looking good at the end. Like it's, well, you know, and at the end the practice got a little rough. So all I'm gonna say is, all I'm gonna say is this. You can't cover Kyle Pitts. Surprise, surprise. Cordell Patterson, BJ, is still, you know, they got him on the depth chart as the starting running back. I have a problem with that. And Drake London looks real good when he ain't going up against the number ones. And I don't like this. I don't want this to be a report. Listen, he can run the nine route. They just ain't thrown him to it yet. What? They won't throw him to go ball. I want to talk about Felipe Franks. Because Felipe? as a Jaguars fan, you know, you tried the Tim Tebow quarterback. Yep. Uh, Tight end thing that didn't that didn't work out really well. There yep. wasn't a whole lot of blocking, and you know there wasn't a whole lot. Just you know, with all due respect, Tim Tebow didn't work out. Felipe Franks did he have a brother play? play yeah, tight brother in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, think, yeah. yeah. as, as, as a tight end. Yes, yeah. I will say this. And, DJ, and what, I am six six. Yeah, I am rooting for Felipe. He out there looking good, blocking and doing different stuff. Right. I'm gonna tell you the difference between Felipe Franks and Tim Tebow. The only thing they share in common <laughs> is they both played quarterback. You know, for Florida. 
Tim Tebow is a professional celebrity. Tim Tebow is going to be fine in life, right? Tim Tebow is all smiles no matter what happens because every day his bank account goes cha-ching. I'm not mad at him. One of the great players in college football history. Felipe is saying, look, this could be my last hurrah. I'm trying to play tight end. All right, is this realistic? You did it in the league. Ah, it, it is. It is. I just think that once again, it's going up against guys that go up against every day. They said Tebow used to look good in practice. Did you see that game? Did you see what happened when he put him in the game? I'm not saying it's going to be Felipe. He was shaking and baking Troy Anderson, who is, quote, learning to play linebacker. All is, for the all is, but that is your, your second-round draft yes, pick. Troy Anderson played linebacker, quarterback, running back, and tight end you know, out of Montana State. I'm not saying Felipe ain't going to make the roster. I'm just saying if he does, and this is no slight to Felipe, what does that say about the tight ends not named Kyle Pitts has played tight in my whole life? If I am any national football player. But, but it's like Kevin said, he's, he's, he's two players. Is you he? Always, no, 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 hold on. Is he? You always talk about how value if you can do yeah. multiple things. I have heard Ben Troop say on this show, yes. if you can play multiple positions, special teams, special teams, whatever. That, that's I, the multiple. He can't, he can't be Taysom Hill. Hell, we are long, we're a long way from Taysom Hill. I, I, I will say this, though. When I talk about multiple positions, I'm talking about special teams. I'm talking about making yourself valuable, you know, in other Were places. you not the emergency quarterback? Oh, and you did not want to see that. If the, if, 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 the, if the both quarterbacks go out, I'm like, get up, boy. Oh, Lord. True. What? Did you have a play where you were allowed to throw? I mean. They're probably just taking knees the rest of the game. Listen, I'm going to throw that thing and just <laughs> hope, for the, hope for a good result. It's going to be Hail Mary's all game. Ain't going to be no quick outs. No, I ju- I'm just saying, Felipe is understanding that in order to have an NFL future, he's going to have to find a way to play a position. Think about this. Felipe Franks used to throw to Kyle Pitts. Now he's learning how to run routes from Kyle Pitts, even though they don't let him do the same thing. That's not, they're not the same caliber of athlete at all. But I'm rooting for Felipe. I mean, I really, really am. But every time I see him getting over, Is I'm it qu- concerning that a guy that doesn't play tight end is cooking your, your, it's your very, linebacker? It's very, it's very concerning, Kevin. Because if you got a guy that's never played a position cooking you, what's gonna happen to the guys that played it? But I mean, Put on the chef hat. but I mean, don't we? <laughs> with look, everybody's got a chance to be good. I think we all know that. But but, whoa, but whoa. hold on. But aren't there pretty clear kind of roster questions with the Falcons? Listen, I mean, listen. Let, let's call. Oh, no, no, no. oh, there's all whole whole roster has questions. Right. I think. So I mean, I, I I think we understand. You're not talking about going up against Felipe first time gonna make one of the best one of the best teams Felipe. in the league. I love Felipe. It's about ninety guys in camp. Right. Felipe, I love you. I love you. I do. I'll, okay, let's switch it. If I came to the league at a tight end and I got to move the quarterback, you think I'm gonna make the team? No, 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 no. <laughs> See, you see, that's all I got to do. Hey, true man, listen, we want you to go over and play. play I get it, man. I'm just asking. No, no, no. That's no knock against Felipe, right? There's no knock against him. We're we're all pulling for it. We played one position your whole life. All of a sudden, man, go on there and put your hand. Yeah, you've had multiple guys try to go to tight end. It has not gone well. All all I am saying is a guy that played like basketball in college, can he play the tight end position? Yes, because he's athletic enough to do it. Felipe Franks went from taking the snap to not jumping off sides. I'm just saying, I, I wish him the best. But at the end of the day, I'm tired of people thinking that you could just play the most athletic position in, on, in football. It, is it concerning you haven't seen more Drake London highlights? It, it, it we is. We saw the one. He's no, like, no, hey, no, here Kevin, he is getting no, locked no, no, up, no, no separation. And I, that's I your say, number I one guy. I will say this. When, 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 love D. Orlando. When D. Orlando said he can run the nine route, they won't throw it to him. <laughs> what the Because I'm like, no, he can run it. What? They just won't throw it to him. 
Well, Ben, I, to be fair, could run a nine round. There it is. We didn't say how fast it had to be. Okay, I could run the route. Can I ask this, and this may be a dumb question. Do you work on things in practice that you haven't already proven? Like, like if you know that he can do that effectively. Can is, he do is, that effectively? Is that kind of – but, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking. If that's something he's already accomplished and shown, mm-hmm. is that kind of unnecessarily repetitive to do that Has he and shown and accomplished that? I haven't been there. I'm just asking. Because no. all the highlights they show are him, you know, getting 50-50 balls. Is that, no. Because, because the thing at the end of the day – I, I just heard you say in spring training sometimes, Kevin, in baseball – that, that pitchers and batters will literally work on things they're struggling at during competition. No, that, but that's my point. Why, why are we not running the go route? Oh, he can run a go route. Well, can he get open and run a go route? Because I don't think anybody knows that. The question, I mean, the jury. So why, the, I think that proves the point more. Like, why, why, why can't we, we see that? Love, listen, we love Trey Young because he panned out. If Trey Young stunk, we would be like, if, what were we saying? We should have kept Luca. <laughs> we I'm, just, got, I'm just saying. We got more to come waiting in the wings. Sean Elliott, Georgia State head coach, joins us next here at 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out. Glad you are with us all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel, ESPN Coastal, there on YouTube. You can watch us live there. Also, uh, you can go to uh, the ESPN app, ESPNCoastal.com. Catch the live stream uh, going on there as well. So uh, plenty of ways for you to catch us here on 3 and Out this afternoon. I believe, uh, BJ, we are efforting Sean Elliott, Georgia State head coach, as they are opening up uh, practice, coming off an 8-5 and five season, but 6-2 and two in the Sun Belt a year ago, preseason pick third uh, in the Sun Belt East. And expectations are high, and understandably so. You're talking about a program that finished the season red hot, I believe won 6-7, of seven. Uh, to finish last season, played great football down the stretch. They bring back their quarterback, uh, uh, Darren Granger, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt. Uh, played, again, fantastic uh, over the final couple of months of the season. He's, I believe, a Conway native. So uh, went to Coastal Carolina last year, helped uh, the Panthers win over Coastal Carolina back there in Conway. So the Sun Belt is going to be rough week to week, no matter who you are, no matter who you're playing. We know that. We've talked about that when looking at Georgia Southern's schedule, right? Georgia State, you have the same conference foes. I believe Georgia State opens up with South Carolina, then gets North Carolina in Atlanta, then has Army, mm. then has Coastal Carolina. Mm. I mean, you're talking about a, a just a very, very challenging schedule, but I think a team that expectations are as high as ever. I mean, when you look in the Sun Belt East, and you heard Robbie Ross say he thought the Sun Belt East was what, like the – the, the second, second, the second, the the second, second hardest division, yeah. yeah, the second toughest division in college football. You're picked third behind Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina, and there's Georgia State right there. And I know Georgia Southern feels like they should be right there, if not higher. So, uh, with those programs, a, a a a great rivalry is developing. Ben, you and I have been to games up at uh, Georgia Southern, up at Georgia State, also. Uh, both programs have a lot to offer, but I think expectations are are very high for the Panthers this fall. <sighs> Once again, I, every every time I talk about a team not named the University of Georgia in the state of Georgia, I keep talking about some of the hardest schedules. I talked about Georgia Southern yesterday, how hard their schedule is. I talked about how hard Georgia Tech is. Georgia State, wow. I mean, BJ, you mean at USC, hosting UNC, Charlotte, Coastal, Army, Georgia Southern, App State. Good luck. I mean, eight and five last year, you know, overall six and two in the conference, and. We ain't even talking about, and once again, 
to even make it through the gauntlet of the first part of the schedule, you still got to deal with some of these newcomers. I, I think they play Southern Miss, and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long year. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure Coach Elliott gonna have his guys ready to go. But Kevin, I mean, USC, UNC, Army, Coastal, Charlotte. That that's that's the start of your season. I don't know who I don't know who these uh who these uh schedule makers are, but they didn't do teams like Georgia Southern, Georgia State, or Georgia Tech. But there are great the opportunities there. I mean, I mean, when you think about sure. Georgia State, when you think about Georgia State, uh, you think about going to Tennessee and winning. You think about going to Tennessee and making a statement. You think about going to Auburn and leading that game for the vast majority of that game until a late comeback. I mean, then I'm not trying to when you think about Georgia Southern, you think about what they've done. You think about well, – no, I'm not. I know. I'm, just, I'm just talking about I know. We, we look at all these games and we go, oh, wow, you know, this is a big-time challenge. Look, everybody's team is – everybody – okay, here we go. Because, no, no, once again – I can't one, even make a point about the no, Sun Belt. No, 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 no. What, what the hell are you talking about being Georgia Southern history? What are you telling me for? What, you, what history are you talking about? I'm just talking about the Sun Belt has multiple teams that have clearly shown – they can go and play with anybody. Yeah. So for as much as we may look at that schedule and go, oh, man, Georgia Southern's got to go to Nebraska. Oh, man, the Carolinas, Georgia State right away. Well, I think that, I think that goes both ways to a certain extent. I mean, I guarantee you, I, I guarantee you Nebraska's well aware of Georgia Southern. Yeah. I guarantee you uh, South Carolina well, is, well, is, 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 is well aware well, of a on, team on, hold on, hold on, that won on. six of seven to, okay. win, to, to, to finish last season. And this is the same Georgia State team, if I'm not mistaken. We're a couple of years removed of them going into Knoxville and beating them. And winning that game convincingly. So, so, so I, so I, I got to ask this, Kevin and BJ. If Georgia Southern beats Nebraska, if Georgia State beats North Carolina, South Carolina, is it an upset or is it just a win? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying, look at the Sun Belt, okay? Louisiana goes to Iowa State when they're in the top ten. Beat the brakes off. Wins by what, 20-plus? Yeah, that was embarrassing. I mean, you think about Arkansas State goes to Kansas State. Wins that game, they score like 40 points. Did Louisiana it, Monroe win in, um, didn't they win in LSU or something like that? If I'm not mistaken? That was Troy. Troy. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Troy over LSU a couple of squad. years ago. Yeah, right. That was uh, maybe Ed Orgeron's first year, I think. I yeah. Think, I think Troy, Troy beat LSU. I mean, you're talking about... These programs that have gone and played not only Power Five conference teams, but SEC teams. And sometimes when you lose, these games come right down to the wire. I mean, Coastal Carolina played a, what, top 10 undefeated BYU team? And beat them. Top 10. Zach Wilson and company, yes. So so I think you've seen these programs, and I'm sure I'm forgetting of, uh, 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 forgetful of upsets that we're talking about right off the top of our head here, but these are programs that have shown they can win these games. And matter of fact, I'm trying to think. The last Georgia State game you and I went to was Georgia State and Army, and yes. and that was a great game. Well, but that was back and forth. These games feature some of the top teams in the country. These are teams that expect to be in consideration for the top 25. These are teams that expect to be in bowl games and in and in notable bowl games. So when you look at the Sun Belt and you see a team like Georgia State or Georgia Southern, you go, man, Nebraska. North Carolina, uh-huh. South Carolina. Uh-huh. Don't don't be surprised when that game's a heck of a lot closer than you think. So is it up to us now? I mean, we look. I mean, I'm I'm not going to call myself a seasoned media, uh, you know, personnel like Kevin and BJ. I'm still, you know, I'm still learning every day. Enjoying. I consider and, Kevin seasoned. Uh, okay, well, you know, <laughs> Kevin is a Kevin is Please. a uh, Kevin is a Tom Brady seasoned. If you want to look at it that way, because Kevin, like, listen, we still doing it, but. When are we going to stop calling them upsets? I, I say that for a reason. So now, when, you know, because I know it's G5 versus P5, you know, what may have you. 
So when Georgia Southern or Georgia State or Troy's, when they beat the, quote, big dogs, is it just a win for them and not an upset? Because as long as we call it an upset, it's almost, like, a, saying, it's almost like saying, oh, man. Because I said this before. Georgia, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, you know, uh, maybe Clemson, certain Texas A&M, that talent threshold is at a different level. It is not that big of a drop-off It's not as much as we want to make it seem. Think about your favorite team, and, and, and maybe it's different with Georgia. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it isn't. Maybe, but, but, but Georgia's the defending national champion, so I think it's fair to say it's different with Georgia. Okay, think about your favorite team maybe outside of Georgia, Ohio State, It wasn't Alabama. Sean Elliott the coach at, am I thinking interim, wrong, at, at, the, at the Citadel? I, I, I think he was interim at South Carolina. Interim at South Carolina. Who, yeah. I, I knew the Citadel had beaten South Carolina. I didn't know if, uh, the, if he was part of that here's, or not. Here's the question I want to ask you. Do you want to play Coastal Carolina this year? No. Do you want to play Appalachian State this year? No. Do you want to play Louisiana this year? No. Do you want to play Georgia State this year? No. I mean, do you want to play Georgia Southern this year? No. And and that's why I think these games and, – and it's not just the P5, G5. I remember talking to uh, Carl Benson, the former commissioner of the Sun Belt, and he said, hey, I know we get caught up in the P5, G5 games, but what's also important for the teams in the Sun Belt – are the games against their peer leagues. So, like when Georgia State, uh, you know, play, or Georgia Southern, rather, plays UAB, that's a that's a big game. That's an important game. And I'm trying to think, is UAB in Conference USA? Or, I mean, these, these conferences Yeah, they're moving all, the all around. I think but, they're at, yeah, I think they're moving all around. Is, was UAB part of, I don't think, they, no, they, they were, they were not, they were not. Oh, they're in Conference USA. So, yeah. so I think those are important measuring stick games. When Georgia State plays Charlotte, Char- Charlotte beat Duke last year. I mean, these are important measuring stick games. Army's been a top 25 team under Jeff Munkin. Army's been a 10-win team under Jeff Munkin. So it's not just North Carolina, South Carolina, Nebraska. When you, it's, the, it's, it, it, it's all of the non-conference games because I think there's a growing interest regionally and nationally in the Sun Belt. I think... I think there are more fans aware of the programs, the coaches, the players, the atmospheres, the history, the tradition of the Sunbelt schools than ever before. And I think that as we learn more about these teams, like you said, Ben, maybe we're using the wrong words when we say, oh, that's a huge upset. Maybe that's not accurate anymore. I don't think it's ever been accurate, if I, if I can be honest. I mean, I know this all, this all goes back to, what, 15 years ago? Uh, App. Beat Michigan, and everybody's going crazy. Dexter Jackson, who was on that team, got drafted. You know, two thousand eight. Uh, he was second round pick. Uh, I was with the Bucks at the time. They got to keep to leave in the first round. I think what happens is I always say this: Is he the college football or is not? Right? Is he the college? Football? And every time, you know, these teams say, "Oh man, these teams in the G-. we just expect you know P five to be better than G five. That's just the expectation. That's not true, because the thing about it is, no one wants to deal with the Sun Belt. Nobody want to deal with them. So. Georgia State saying, man, y'all was surprised that we beat. Tennessee hasn't been Tennessee for a long time. I know that Coach Hyper and Henry Hooker and company got something to say about it. But don't say, don't say that Tennessee is a team on the, you know, on the rise and then when they lose to Georgia State, oh, they got some. No, no, no. Georgia State is just a good team. And I just think that now when you start talking about, you know, uh, college football, there are certain teams they lose. I get it. Oh, they, they beat who? But I just think that when you look at what the Sun Belt brings to the table, what Georgia State brings to the table – most teams in college football, they can they can stand toe to toe with them. And how you know? Because when, you know, and I know BJ alluded to it, when Georgia Southern goes goes with Florida and, and they beat Florida, right? Yeah, they beat them, and they beat them doing what they do. Oh, they're gonna shut that option down. There was a young man by the name of Jarek McKinnon. 
Jerry McKinnon's older brother, played in Florida with me, took a picture with little Jerry McKinnon. He probably grew up wanting to go to Florida. I don't know if Florida recruited him. He says, all right, Florida, I'm going to go to Georgia Southern because we play Florida, and I'm going to beat the brakes off y'all. And every time you walk into the facility in Georgia Southern, and guess what, BJ, the one pass that they, the couple of passes that they threw, guess who we called it on? Hargraves. I'm just telling y'all, when you start talking about these schools, it ain't that big of a difference. We've got more to come here. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. We have found Coach Sean Elliott, head football coach of the uh, Georgia State Panthers. He joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, man, I apologize. You know, you know, sometimes you get caught up in different things, and uh, I'm here now ready to talk. Well, you, you guys finished the season as one of the hottest teams uh, in the country. How do you carry that momentum over here into 2022? Well, I mean, honestly, you uh, we, we've got a bunch of great players. we got some veteran players that know how to, uh, to prepare to win and, and, and actually win. So we've got a lot of those guys returning. It'll be an exciting time this fall. We've got to go and prepare and, and kind of put the last year behind us because you can't, you can't really uh, look back and say, hey, you're, you're going to be uh, a good football team based on last year's merits. So uh, we've got to have a strong focus and a sharp mind and move forward. Coach, you guys have a heck of an opening month uh, to the season. What are your What are your priorities here in fall camp? Well, the priorities here in fall camp are just getting prepared, being very, very knowledgeable. Uh, conditioning is a huge, huge uh, part of our, our game, and uh, we understand we have a good football team. And then going into our South Carolina game, being able to go out and compete at a very, very high level not letting anything hold us back from a conditioning standpoint, from a heat standpoint. Uh, we've got to be at the top of our game when we go in there and play the SEC and we was Bryce. Coach, when you think about the reputation of the Sun Belt, you guys are adding four new members and you, you guys are already top to bottom, you know, uh, the best P5 conference in the country. Just talk about how, you know, uh, where, you, where you guys sit at, new, new members coming in, but also trying to maintain, you know, the standards you guys already got set up there at uh, Georgia State. Our Sun Belt Conference is the best in uh, the Group of Five League. I want you to know that. Uh, you know, I've got fond memories of playing Marshall when I was a player at Appalachian State. And, you know, we were playing back in that day in the FCS days. They were one and we were three. And I remember going up to Marshall and beating those guys. And they're competing for championships and winning FCS championships. Same thing with James Madison, Old Dominion. What a great reputation these programs have. Also, Southern Miss coming in the Western League. Uh, we've got to be ready to go and compete just like we were uh, w- with our original members. I mean, we've got a tough conference. Now we have an even tougher conference, strong as can be. One of the things people don't understand, uh, App State's got North Carolina, the University of North Carolina coming in their place, I think, in week two. And we've got the University of North Carolina coming in our place in week three. So for the Sun Belt to have North Carolina coming in back-to-back weeks for a home game in our conference, that's exactly where our conference stands. And coach, how big is that? Uh, as you said, you got two big games right out of the gate, but to have teams, as you said, give you a home game, how big is that for continuing to build the program up? Well, it's only as big as uh, you make it. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've got South Carolina, Columbia on the third. We've got North Carolina here and on the 10th. Uh, we we got to go do something special. You want people to recognize your conference, recognize your football program, you got to go knock them off. And if you don't play them, you can't beat them. 
So we're going into each and every one of these weeks, just like we would in South Carolina, North Carolina, if it were Charlotte or Army or any other conference game, with the mindset that we're going to take them down. Coach, tell us about your quarterback, uh, Darren Granger. I know had a had a great year last year, some big wins. Darren's, um, you know, he he's really a remarkable story. Transfers in from Furman University, uh, sits behind our starter from a year ago, and uh, I think the third or the fourth game, for whatever reason, things weren't going very well for us. We made the change in quarterback install. Uh, Darren Granger, our team. Just has such confidence around him. They build around him, and uh, he flourishes to a great uh, start and a great finish. I think we won seven of our last eight. And so he leads a very, very confident offense into this season. Uh, tremendous leader, got a great personality, tremendous work ethic, and uh, I think he's going to have a very, very good, solid 2022 season. Coach, obviously with college football being right around the corner, I know what it's like being a former player, just being able to go out there and prove to the coaches I've gotten better from a year ago, prove to my teammates they can respect me and trust me on the field. But what is it like for you as the head coach? So what is this time of the year like for you? Well, honestly, I don't I don't put the the, the season or the preseason ahead of schedule. I, I, I take it for what it is. Uh, we open up and report tomorrow. We practice on Friday for the first time. Um I, I, I'm one of those guys that don't let tomorrow ruin your today. So today I actually went to the Braves game, took in the Braves uh, and the Phillies game, but uh, we're all on point. Our staff is so excited to go out and, and get back to what we do, and that's coach and prepare and, and, and win, and that's what our staff is ready to do. Coach, we've got about a minute left. Uh, just talk about building the, the legacy, the tradition of the program. Obviously, Georgia State – when you look around college football, it's one of the newer programs still. Uh, every day, every win you guys get, it could be a new milestone for the program. Speak to being in that experience as a coach and saying, hey, we as a staff, we as a team, every time we go out there, we're, we could literally be writing history for this thing. I want you to understand, this is going to my sixth season. And uh, six years ago, uh, going into that season, uh, we were picked last. Or uh, the very next season, we were picked the same. Uh, this year, we, we got a first-place vote to go out and compete in the Sunbelt Conference. Somebody voted us first place. I think we're third in the preseason, but people are recognizing that we have a good football program, a building football program, a program ready to compete for Sunbelt Championship. Coach Sean Elliott, head football coach at Georgia State. They're back at it on Friday. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Y'all have a great rest of the summer. Will do, and they open up against South Carolina, North Carolina, as he mentioned there a couple of times uh, as they get. So they could be front and center if they get off to a good start here in 2022. Appreciate Coach joining us here on the show. Also, uh, Quincy Carter sat down with Ben for this week's edition of Troop Talk. If you miss any portion of the show, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can catch that. Go to our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal there on YouTube and you can catch any portion of the show you may have missed. We'll see you tomorrow, Thursday edition of 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.